Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Hi, and welcome to The Stacks, a podcast all about books. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and this week we're talking to journalist and writer Heather John Fogarty. Before we talk with Heather, let's do just a little housekeeping. Come check out the awesome community we're building over on Patreon. Patreon is a website that allows you to be a real-life patron of the arts. You commit to as little as a dollar a month, and you know you're helping make an independent podcast happen. You also get some awesome perks like joining our virtual book club, submitting questions for our guests, and getting a shout-out on the show. Like our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Pete Forrester and Janelle Jansen. Thank you. It's super easy, and you just go to patreon.com slash thestacks and you join the fun. Um, If a monthly subscription doesn't really work for you, check out our PayPal. Go to paypal.me slash the stacks pod, and you can do a one-time donation there to help support the show. Anything you contribute is super, super helpful. So thank you for being a part of making the show happen. Did you know that if you shop on Amazon, you can help the stacks by clicking through the links in the show notes or on our website before you shop. The Stacks earns a small commission on these purchases and it comes at no cost to you. It's super easy. You just click the link and you shop and it's guilt-free shopping because you know you're helping out the show. Here is your weekly reminder to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on Apple, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, will you please rate and review the show? It goes a long way. It helps us reach new audiences. So please take a few seconds to just write a little blurb about why you listen. Now it's time for the show. This week, our guest is journalist Heather John Fogarty. Heather's work has been featured in the LA Times, LA Review of Books, Mary Claire Magazine, and more. Heather also was an editor at Bon Appetit Magazine. She is an avid reader, and let me just say, get your TBR ready because Heather comes in with all the book recommendations. So let's get started. Here we go. Okay, everybody, we're back this week with Heather John Fogarty, a journalist whose work can be found in the LA Times, LA Review of Books, Mary Claire, Playboy, and she's been featured on NPR. Heather, welcome to the Stacks. Tracy, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Okay, will you tell the people a little bit more about yourself besides just where we can find your work? So I've been living in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. for the past close to 20 years. Um, I'm a mom. 
I'm a writer. And uh, right now I have taken a break from writing and I'm testing recipes for a new cookbook. So this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. I was lucky enough for Heather to cook for me. And basically it's the Chispaca cookbook. Chispaca. Oh, I've been saying it wrong. Chispaca. And they send you their cookbook. Well, what they do is they have a whole list of recipes that they need tested, but they, you know, they're chefs. And so uh, they need a home cook to try them because that's who's going to be cooking from the book. And so I drive up to Moza and get a big box of ingredients and I take them home and I cook them for friends like you. And it's amazing. And sometimes it's a total failure, and sometimes it's the greatest thing you've ever done in your life. It's mostly the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. (laughs) But, uh, you know, one time I spent hours, maybe days, making a lobster stock. And then when I went to turn it into a roux, my proportions of butter and flour were off, and it it just never thickened up. And when you've spent that much time, it's infuriating. And how did you get... (laughs) to be someone like because I feel like I would love for someone to pay me to test recipes like how did they go to you how'd they know to go to you well so I was at uh, the LA Times for years and Bon Appetit after that for a long stretch and one of my favorite writers uh, has written the last I don't know four or five cookbooks with Nancy Silverton and and uh, Carolyn Carreño and she's a she's there the the people who run Kisbaka? Well, Carolyn is the writer who co-authors okay. with Nancy. And Carolyn is an old colleague and friend of mine. And she told me she was doing the next cookbook. And one thing led to another. And I ended up saying, sure. You're like, yes, I'd like to see all these. <laughs> yes, I'd like to do the Vundino. Yes. That's like... That's how it all began. So good. Um, okay, so you were at Bon Appetit. And that's the magazine. Correct. And you were the editor? I or was, no, you were. I was the wine and spirits editor. That's right. The wine and spirits editor. But thank you for the promotion. Well, I was going to say the editor of wine and spirits, but then I got stuck. You know. But yes, you you own the magazine. And <laughs> <laughs> um, how, do you, how do you find out that that's something? Like, it seems so specific, right? Like, when you were like, I'm going to be a journalist, or I'm gonna, how did you get from wanting to do the work to getting to wine and spirits? Well, so I wanted to work in magazines and I had this, you know, I, I grew up reading Vogue and I, I loved Vanity Fair, Harper's Bazaar. And in fact, um, I ended up as working my dream job as style editor at the LA Times. But before I was in magazines, um, I worked in wineries right out of college. And you're from? I'm from Napa Valley Napa. and I went to Davis and studied wine there as well. Uh, So when I got to the LA Times, um, part of what I oversaw in the style section were the food pages and some drinks coverage. And so I would write stories every once in a while just for fun. Right. And at the time, Bon Appetit was based in Los Angeles. And so they called me up when they had this opening and I had not considered making a move out of style. But, uh, oh, my God, talk about a dream job. Yeah. So I, you know, I was there for seven years. Oh, wow. Okay. This might sound like a dumb question, but, you know, here I am. What's the actual difference in job between, like, an editor and an everyday journalist? Like, what were your responsibilities that were different? Because I know some editors also write. 
So I did both. Okay. Uh, you know, at Bon Appetit, I was the columnist as well as an editor. But uh, editors assign content and they match it up with a writer who they think is going to be perfect for tone and um, and style. And you know, for me, that was that was the most creatively fulfilling part of the job. Mm. I really miss that as a freelance writer, um, kind of getting to conceive of it. And, you know, I, I, I love authors. Mm-hmm. And so matching up a story to a writer was, you know, one of the things I love the most. And are you also coming up with the ideas for the stories? Yes. Okay. So it's, you're creating, you're kind of in charge of what will be in the magazine and then also who's writing about it. That's true. But also, you know, it, it also works that writers pitch ideas. Okay. Um, and, and it works that way too. Yeah. So you'll say yes or no or yeah. work on this. And, mm-hmm. But how much of the job is – that's a line editor who does like the actual editing of the pieces or you kind of edit some of the bigger picture and then you send it to someone who talks about commas and semicolons? Correct. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I was a content that. editor and I, okay. I did – I did some line editing, but um, but really, yeah, no, I did, the copy editor is the one who, you know, makes sure all the commas and yes. things are in place, which sounds like my nightmare, but okay. I'm, there are people who are, like, amazing at it. Totally. And, like, we need those people. Right. I wish there were those people in my personal writing life. Um, okay. I, I just am fascinated by journalists, and I think it's really cool that you were writing about, like, a thing like things and I'm sure there are people involved in those things like the winemakers or you know whatever the story is but this idea that like you could just be diving deep into a vodka (laughs) well uh yeah that's a good day when that happens uh no I I I absolutely loved it and and as a columnist very rarely I mean I have no interest in wine ratings or or descriptions really Mm -hmm. I think you can learn a lot more about a specific wine or an area by meeting the people who live there and who farm the land and who are hands-on and that tells you much more. Right. Um, I also happen to know that you used to be part of a really important thing that happens in food in LA. Do you know know what I'm getting at? Uh, Maybe. You had a vote maybe? I had a vote. I had a vote. I had a voice. I was uh, for I think maybe seven or eight years I was I had the great honor of being um a judge for the James Beard restaurant awards which is like the awards well it's it's the Oscars yeah it's the one yes like you are part of the academy well I (laughs) in movie talk sure how many people (laughs) were judges I should know the answer to that, but so, I don't. And like it, 10 or like 100? No, no, because we were all across the country. Okay. And so um, there could have been as many as 10 in, in Southern California. I don't know. We had regional okay. chapters. And so you only do your region? Like no, they don't fly you all over the world? They don't fly you anywhere. Okay. Uh, and But you, you can vote on anything in the country provided – you've eaten there got it like if you went to new york you could put your two cents in Mm -hmm. and can you think of like of your of your time one particular restaurant that just stands out like as the one that has all your love and affection Ooh, that's a tricky one gosh you've really caught me off guard sorry (laughs) uh you know, recently I had a meal that blew my mind at Gwen. Ah, uh, yes. It was it was so special and uh, delicious 
and all the good things mm-hmm. uh, minus the price tag. Yeah. Uh, but you know, in real life, I I tend to prefer a much more simple okay. restaurant dining experience, and so. You know, I would put a number 19 pastrami sandwich at Langer's mm-hmm. right up there in the Hall of Fame. Sure. Sure. You sit down to earth. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So you kind of, we haven't really talked about this yet, but you also got a master's. I recently completed a master's of fine arts and writing. Yes. Because you were like, I write as a journalist, but I also have maybe like some stories in me. Uh, sure. I, uh, you know, between I have two young boys. Um, they're now 10 and six. But after my oldest was born, I was feeling a little burnt out as a freelancer. And I took some creative writing classes at UCLA. And it just completely exercised a different muscle. It made me more creative in my day job. Mm. And I started on a novel um, that I just kind of couldn't stop. And so I submitted it and um, was given a a generous fellowship to complete it at Otis College. Nice. And so that was a two-year program? It was a two-year program, yeah. And what was it like going back to school as a full-on adult? You mean as a 45-year-old when everyone else was in their 20s? Yeah, totally. It was great. Yeah, did you love it? I loved it. And I was, you know, so nerded out and ready for class and not, you know sleeping in and blowing yeah. off. Yeah. Like had had a real job and everything. Totally. In between. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you wrote a book. I wrote a book. And now, what? so I know a lot of my listeners are readers, but also a many, 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 which I was sh- shocked by, are writers or hopeful writers of their own novel, Great American Novel. Um, so what was the process like for you? Well, you know, I came up in newspapers, and so uh, when I got to Otis, um, the first thing the head of the department said is, we're really going to have to deprogram you as a journalist Mm. and teach you to think like a fiction writer. And the note that I kept getting sort of at the beginning there was, great journalism, terrible fiction writing. (laughs) So it's, it's really show, don't tell. Right. And uh, I, I highly recommend seeking out if that's something that you're interested in an MFA program, because for me, it was it was an incredible experience. And it really challenged me and, and challenged my writing practice. Yeah. And so you you wrote the majority or the entire book basically in the program. I went in there, in fact, with about 100 pages. Okay. But I scrapped a lot of those and rewrote and ended up probably closer to 300 when it was finished. And how long before the program were you working on? Like how long have you been working on the book? It took me over four years to write. Wow. And rewrite. So it turns out that's like most people. Like most people take like, I always thought books were written like, you know, like a paper. It's like, oh, I did it in a few weeks. Like, no. Like years. 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 Mm -hmm. I I don't have the patience for that. I'm like, if it can be written in a day, I got to (laughs) go. Not quite, but I appreciate. But we need like readers. Yes, there there exactly. are writers and there are readers, yes. and 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 some of us are both. You're definitely both, which we're about to get to. Um, I know that part of the process of writing your book is then sending it out to people in the hopes that it gets picked up. And from what I understand, basically everyone in the history of the world, that's the worst part. <laughs> well, I don't know because this is where I am. It, it could get even worse than this. But uh, so the first the. The first thing is to find representation. Right. And so um, 
the best I can liken it to is sort of like meeting your partner or spouse. And it, it has to be someone who shares your vision because from the time that that agent takes on your work, and if that agent is able to sell it to a publisher, it can take a year to two years before, you know, with revisions and right. and and publication, it can take one to two years before it's in print. And so that person has to be wanting to spend that kind of time with you and your characters. Right. So and, right. It's and a, want to work with you on it. Absolutely. Like spend the time working mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. It is. That's interesting to think of it as like you're dating. Right. <laughs> you're looking for someone to love. And, you know, it's funny because through this whole process, which is um, which is challenging because you're putting yourself out there, you're super vulnerable. Um, I was reading a book recently uh, that I didn't love. And I also recognized it as being an incredible book mm-hmm. and deserving of all of its hype. Mm-hmm. But had I been an agent and it had come across my desk, I would have said, oh, this is going to be big, but I don't want to, you know, I'm not, I'm not in, yeah. What's the book? Oh, you don't (laughs) want to say. I think I know now. (laughs) Just say it. No one cares. No, no one cares because it's brilliant and it'll probably win a Pulitzer. I loved it. You you loved it. it. I didn't, I did not love There There. It's okay. I, it had too many characters for me. I wanted to go deeper in into some of them. You're definitely not alone. I've talked to people who loved it. I loved it. And then people who were like, I have no idea who anybody was. Like, I just couldn't quite sit in it. And I, I think that for me, I liked it because, you know, I like nonfiction and like fast moving and plot. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really care if I, I kind of would like go back and be like, oh, wait, who is that again? But I was like really interested in what was going to happen. So for me, as a plot driven person, sure. characters are almost always just like, I don't know. I'm not a, I don't fall in love with characters. So to me, it was like fine. <laughs> well, I mean, and I think we can both agree that the writing was it's incredible. Amazing. It's amazing. And I'm from Oakland. So, you know, I love that. Of course. That of was course. like huge for me. Sure. Um, but it's true. Like if I, I think about that a lot when I talk about like books that I loved or didn't love and the moment in which I read them in my life, mm-hmm. you know, and like, I wonder if five years ago I would have appreciated there there at all because I was in such a nonfiction place. And over the last year, I've started moving a little bit more towards fiction. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, as an editor, I'm sure that's true, too. Or like a person who takes on a book, I want like depending on what the last book they did was and like, do I want to do this kind of thing again? Or am I feeling like emotionally, you know, maybe their mother just died and they don't want to do a heavy, you know, it's just like all those things probably play into it for them, too, I guess. I mean, I don't know. It's very personal, as is as is what Writing we like to read. Yeah, um, which is why I'm shocked that you have me on this show because I'm so fiction and you're so not. I, you know, I don't discriminate about reading. You I do a little. Oh bit. no, but not what you read. <laughs> like as long as I don't have All to right. read it. So, so Heather and I know each other from my other life as a fitness instructor, and we connected because we love reading. And Heather's one of the few people, which you guys have heard me talk about, who I actually will listen to their book recommendations in real life. So Heather is the one who recommended The Mars Room, which we did on the show. Um, and Heather also, you've told me about some of my favorite books in the past, because you also told me about The Devil's Highway, nonfiction. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so that's good. still so good. I mean, I read it this year, and it is was written 14 years ago? I, I think that's probably 
why reading it right now is is pretty disturbing because nothing's really changed correct in a good way right um the devil's highways by luis alberto Uria. yeah you did it yeah and it's about um immigration uh it's about people coming across the border from mexico and it's one particularly devastating story of a group of men but it's really great and it still holds up unfortunately mm-hmm. um okay let's get to your reading habits what are two books you love two books that i love are desperate characters by paula fox and elsewhere california by dana johnson and you have to tell us about both of those okay a little so something, something. I, so i will say that it, that if uh in my top five favorite novels those two and uh, Desperate Characters is this book that was written in the late 60s. And it's, it's not talked about a lot. It's certainly not taught. And it's, uh, it's about gentrification in Brooklyn. And it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, and then the second one, Elsewhere, California, is written by Dana Johnson, who's a professor at USC and just one of my all-time favorite writers. She's incredible. And it, it, it's not autobiographical at all. Uh, beyond the fact that the character is um, a black woman from, I think, Watts, who moves to West Covina and then back to L.A. and is married to a white man. So those plot points are true to the, are author. True to the author, but the rest is completely an exploration of Los Angeles. And awesome. I'm so you know. excited about having you on. I know you're going to say all these books that I've never <laughs> heard of and read. I'm going to be like adding them to my list. Um, what's a book you hate? Or don't like, if you don't like to say hate. You know, uh, a book I had a strong negative reaction to was um, My Absolute Darling by Gabriel Talent. I've heard this. Tell us why. Well, I had such high hopes for it because his mother is like this cult literary figure. And as a result, the book got praise from some of my favorite writers and it was set in Mend- it is set in Mendocino and I'm from Northern California. And, um, I don't know, like, I, I feel like he's writing a teenage girl who's being sexually abused by her father. And, um, it feels like the sexual trauma, um, or abuse is somehow romanticized. Mm. I, 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 yeah. I've, you're not the first Ew. person I've heard this from. I've heard it from a lot of people, actually, that it's, like, gross because it's kind of, like, it's a gross, fantasy almost but it's, the way it's written. Or, yeah. like, that it's, like, yeah. I've, and then, if I mean, if you want to go check out on Goodreads, Roxanne Gay has the best reviews. So she, so. Her reviews on Goodreads no, this are is so, good. so delicious, amazing. Yes. She's not afraid to be, like, you're terrible or you're amazing. Right. Like, she goes all in. Um, what's the last great book you read? Well, I love The Mars Room, as you know. Um, The writing made me so mad. It was so good. I almost threw the book across the room. (laughs) Because you liked it so much. Yeah, I just kept uh, rereading paragraphs. Like, how did she do that? Like, the writing is crazy. Because you're reading not only as a reader and a lover of books, but also as a writer Mm -hmm. and a lover of writing the words and, like, the structure and how it all plays out. I think when you're reading something, like, I know you're reading the Executioner's Song right now, and it it might seem like the writing in places is really flat, but that's such a deliberate choice. And the length of the sentences and how they back up are, I mean, they're... And while you're reading, you are noticing that in real time 
sometimes. Sometimes. If it's sometimes where I'm like, what just happened? Right. I go back and I reread. That's so interesting. I love that. I, that's not how my brain works because I'm not a writer. So I'm reading it, you know, and I guess feeling I'm feeling whatever they're trying to make me feel. And you're noticing like, oh, they're trying to make me feel this by writing it this way or that way or whatever. I think that's why there there bugged me a little bit. It felt like such a constraint, sure. that sort of structure Maybe. of it. But anyway, we, I mean, it's he's, okay. he's going to win all, all the awards. You think? I do. I think he deserves them too. I think he'll win some of them. I, I wonder. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I think he didn't make the shortlist for the National Book Award. He, he got longlisted. Mm. I don't think he got, um, fi- I don't think he was a finalist. Mm. Um, but the Mars Room is a, was a finalist for the Man Booker, but she didn't, she didn't win. Mm. The Milkman or something? I don't know. Have you read that? No. No. I don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> what are you currently reading? So right now I'm reading uh, The Mirage Factory by Gary Christ. Uh, I just started The Stranger Game by Peter Gadel. And I'm uh, I'm listening on Audible to Fruit of the Drunken Tree by Ingrid Rojas Contreras. I have that. I think I'm not going to like it, though. Is it really fictiony? It's pretty fictiony. I think so. I know. But I've heard it picks up really – it has, like, a really strong second half. Oh, good. And that's I've, about where I am. Okay. I've heard it gets really good at okay. the end. So let me know if I need to read it. All right. Um, what are some books that you're maybe looking forward to reading? Well, I have a stack on my bedside table right now. Um one of them is nonfiction. It's Ooh. Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen by Jose Antonio Vargas. Have yes, you read it? I've seen it. I've not read it yet. Yeah. Um, and then I'm really excited to read this new collection of short stories about L.A. and what it means to be home. It's called Fight No More by Lydia Malay. Ooh, have you seen that? No. She's incredible. Okay. And you love L.A. things. I do. You love – you. Heather reads a ton about California. You write about California. That's so true. So you research like crazy by reading books yeah. placed here. Where, well, I try to immerse myself in the world. And so also on my bedside table right now is Telegraph Avenue by Michael Chabon. Mm. And I think my next project, which I've just started Dipping writing. your toe. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be set in Northern California. So I'm excited to return home and um, read Anything and everything, fiction, nonfiction, so give me your recommendations. I know you've sent me some, like, going back decades. Well, listeners, if you have Northern California books, send them to Heather. I'll link to her in the show notes so you can just send her all your things. How do you pick your next book or books since you clearly read multiple books at once? Yeah, I'm usually reading about three books at a time. Hmm. Um, One is for research, so that would be, you know, I have a list of things that I want to get through. Um, based on what I'm working on. And then one is usually for pure pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I usually pick something on Audible that's kind of zeitgeisty. But, you know, I, uh, I'm friends with a lot of journalists and writers and just, you know, through social media or conversations, you know, people are constantly recommending and, you know, you've, You've sent me some great recs, too. Oh, yay. Good. I'm glad to hear it because I feel like you send me everything. I'm always asking you for recommendations. What about what happens when you're like you have your list and something new comes out? Do you do you bump it up? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You're not a stickler to the list. No. 
Um, what's a book that you love to recommend to people? I know I've been on the receiving end of many. Well, so I am very specific in my recommendations and I tailor them. So the ex- Executioner's Song, I would not recommend to most people. But I got the recommendation. But <laughs> I, if I know someone's going to – I've recommended it to a few fellow writers. Okay. And yeah, it's it's incredible if you're – you're up for that kind of page commitment right because it's Um, like 1100 pages but uh it it really depends on on who is asking and why right um what's a really good book that someone has recommended to you well i you recommended an american marriage to me i did you did and i know that you had said at the time that it wasn't that you liked it but you didn't love it but you knew that I would love it, and you were right. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, it's good. Um, what's the last – or what's the best book you've received as a gift? My dad gives me really good books, and so he is a professor, and he's a collector of books and turned okay. me into a collector of books. And um, for my 21st birthday, he gave me a first edition of Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own. Mm. Which is one of my favorite all-time books, and I had done my thesis on her. And oh, wow! So yeah, that like was a really special. That one. was pretty up there. That's amazing. Um, do you set reading goals for yourself? Kind of. I mean, I have a very specific list I'm trying to get through, and yeah, you just but just the list. It's not like you don't have a number, or like a certain book by a certain number of books by a certain author, or like any more specific. I don't know. I feel like if I did that, it would take the pleasure out of it. Sure. Um, Yeah. Just getting through that list. Yeah. Which I'm sure grows every day. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you organize your books? I have really strong feelings about this. I'm very curious. I need to look around. I'm color coordinated, which I'm sure you hate. Oh my God, I hate that so Mm -hmm. much. But I I know where all my books are because I know what color the spine is. Even if the cover is like, like I have a book, the cover is gold but the spine is red so it's with the red books but I know that and I think Mm -hmm. of it as a red book interesting you're alphabetical by genre or something like you're like an actual library I have I have different (laughs) bookcases for different genres and then within that on fiction it's arranged by author and then alphabetized title within author okay (laughs) not type a at all and then on other bookshelves it you know it would be by subject okay okay I used to do it I had I've done it different ways but I just like the way it looks Mm -hmm. with it being all all my colorful books are in a different room though because I it's too much color um (laughs) are there any um genres that you love or that you avoid well I think we know that I love fiction fiction but um but, you know, I also read a lot of nonfiction and essays. And, you know, from grad school, I started reading poetry again, which I really put under nonfiction. Okay. But that's been cool. Um, and I guess I would say no to science fiction. But then I love Octavia Butler and Ray sure. Bradbury. So, like, no romance. Yeah. I think also, like, for a lot of genres, even for me, when and I don't read a ton of anything besides nonfiction – I still feel like if it's good, like, I'll do it. You know, like, Kindred I loved. Right. But, like, I don't know if I'm now going to go read, like, every science fiction book ever written. Like, I feel like it's got to be, like, really good. And, you know, I'll read the cream of the crop 
in anything. Sure. But yeah, I'm not really science fiction-y. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook, with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. What's the last book that made you laugh? Uh, I had never read Prep by Curtis Sittenfeld. Oh, I've never read it either. It, you wouldn't like it. It's okay. fiction. <laughs> but it's about boarding school, and I think she's about the same age as I am. And so there's a lot of high school that's familiar to me, and um, she's really quite scathing in a way that sneaks up on you. So okay. I like that. Funny. I might like that. You might like it. I like scathing. It's, it's fiction-y. Yeah. Okay, well. Uh, what's the last book that made you cry? Uh, Unaccompanied by Javier Zamora. And um, he's a poet from El Salvador, and it's a collection of poems about his crossing when he was seven years old. Mm. And um, I was introduced to the book 
because I was at a conference in Arizona last year hearing him read, and he was having kind of a, a breakdown because it was the first time he had returned, and we were within a mile of the spot where he had crossed wow. and was having, you know, like PTSD, and uh, it was really emotional. That He's an incredible talent. He's a fellow at Harvard now. He mm-hmm. was at Stanford um, for the last couple years, and I, th- I think we're going to be hearing a lot more from him. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the last book that made you angry? Um, I think it's one that maybe made you angry, oh. which is uh, The Line Becomes a River. Yeah. yeah. I hated that book. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about what made you angry? What made me angry, uh, you know, as a journalist, one of the sort of tenets of journalism is humanity and that a a journalist should do no harm. And I appreciate that he wasn't a journalist, but he went into the Border Patrol to understand it and stayed and stayed for two years, got paid a lot of money to do that. Right. And then got a huge book advance to write it. Right. Um, you know, we'll be talking about Nancy's book, mm-hmm. um, To the Bridge. She didn't have to murder someone right. to write it. Right. So I, I really question the ethics of this writer. And one of the things that I've heard, because I've been pretty public about my dislike of that book, and some people have said back to me, like, well, you don't have to have journalist integrity if you write a memoir. And I just feel like that's, that's true. That doesn't mean I have to like it. Right. But I also feel like if you're writing a memoir about something that happened in your life versus something that you made happen in your life. Correct. Like, I think that there should be different standards. If I'm writing the story about, you know, my day at Flywheel, that's different than if I'm writing the story about if I'm if I've made something happen to then write the story. Like that's I feel like then at that point, it's got to be something different than a memoir because. I mean, I don't know, because you talk about journalists becoming the story and, you know, something very tragic like Daniel Pearl, that's a journalist who becomes the story, right? I don't think I know that. Well, he, you know, he was he was killed and that's relevant today with what's happening in Saudi Arabia. Arabia. But uh, but the point is, is that sometimes journalists, particularly war correspondents, become the story. Sure. Um, Not of their will, but just because of the nature this was different. Well, right. But in that this case, felt exploitive. Yeah. In that case, though, they're also reporting on mm-hmm. something that is still happening around them. They didn't say like, let's go to war so I can be a, res- like be a correspondent. Mm-hmm. I, and I just also feel like if that's the case, if you kind of put the ball in motion that then you should have to have a certain level of integrity that you might not have to have if you're just writing your own memoir. Do you well, know what I mean? Right. And he sort of, you know, washes over his, complicity in it I mean he's hunting down human beings right and yes there's so much of him like giving people the shirt off his back and like tasting their food and sharing with them and it's like yeah but what about the other stuff you were doing right like were you just the only nice person in the history of border patrol like I don't know if that's really true and also then there's the question of is there such thing as a good border patrol person or police officer right like as part of that institution Mm -hmm. et cetera et cetera yeah that book really pissed me off yeah Still makes me angry. I me think too. we both read it like you know months what? ago. Let's let's go to a happy place. Let's <laughs> yeah, bring it let's, down. Let's get out of here. Bye, Francisco. Um, are there any books that you feel super proud about having read? Proud as far as like 
it felt like running a marathon. The one that still makes me mad from college was uh, Sir Philip Sidney's Countess of Pembroke's Arcadia. It was like 1,100 words of pastoral poetry, and I wanted to kill myself. Sounds like my nightmare. Right. But you're proud that you got through it. Well, it felt like an accomplishment, for sure. sure. Yeah. What about any books you're embarrassed about having read? Oh, without a doubt, The Bridges of Madison County is the worst book I've ever read. Um, But uh, if you read it as a comedy, it's not intended as one. It's like the writing is so bad. (laughs) Have you seen the movie? No. People love the movie. I know. People love the book. Oh, they do. Well, yeah. People love most things. I hate most things that people love, so what do I know? Um, Do you have a favorite like character from from your readings I, I can favorite? think I can think of a favorite least favorite character which is kind of a bigger discussion about the kind of books I like okay I love antiheroes okay um and so a character I love to hate is Mickey Sabbath in Philip Roth's Sabbath's theater mm-hmm. and um it's probably one of the novels I return to most often um if I'm stuck in my writing, I pick up Sabbath's theater and I randomly turn to any page and read. And the writing is so brilliant that it it gets me going. I mean, in real life, Philip Roth is like a horrible, recently died, but a horrible misogynist, sure. um, as is this character. But I think there's also something to be learned about forgiveness and humanity in this character. Mm-hmm. And what's the book about? I don't know that book. Oh, he's, uh, it's set in New York and New England, and it's so misogynistic. He's like a failed puppeteer. Oh, yeah. Weird. Okay. (laughs) Um, What about a favorite book from your childhood? My favorite book, hands down, was this book called The Amazing Bone. It was about a talking bone and (laughs) the lady pig, Pearl, who carried her around. And I was so obsessed with it that um, an artist friend of my parents painted my entire room out of the book's pages. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And do you read it to your kids? Have you? Yeah, they didn't take to it like I did, but it's amazing. How do you – I know your kids, like, read and stuff. Yeah. How do you get make that a priority in their world? It Well, we just always do it. And something I had to kind of get past with, with kids is uh, let them read whatever they want, even mm-hmm. if that's, you know, a comic book or, you know – Whatever they want, reading is reading, and that's good. So I, I absolutely, I try out mm-hmm. things that I liked with them or that my husband liked, but mm-hmm. ultimately they love our local bookstore, Chevaliers, mm-hmm. and they just go in there and plop down in those little kitty chairs mm-hmm. and and check things out. That's so great. Yeah. And what are what's like a book that they're loving right now? What each of them are? Uh, George is reading this series called. It's their biography books, and he has one about, um, like, who was Babe Ruth, um, and then he's reading, like, who was Michelle Obama, and then Freddie's super into, like, books about Ninjago, and... I don't know what that is. It's, like, a Lego show, and fighting. (laughs) that was, like, a real thing I was supposed to know. And danger, and, you know, he loves danger. George is 10? Yeah. And Freddie's... Six. Six. Okay. Um... What was a favorite book that was assigned to you in school? Um, I would have to say Another Country by James Baldwin. Mm. When when do you remember high school or I think that that was early college. Okay. I can't remember. It could have been high school. 
but I love that one. For sure in college, a book that I absolutely loved was Wide Sargasso Sea by Jean Reese. Have you read it? Mm -mm. Um, They made a film about it, but it is – so we all read Jane Eyre and The Crazy Woman in the Attic. This is about the history of the crazy woman in the attic and who made her that way. And it's set in the Caribbean and it's incredible. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were going to assign a book to high school students, what do you think you would assign? Mm. Um, I reread last year um, Ernest Gaines' A Lesson Before Dying. And I think I would I would want to assign that one. I've never read that either. That's one that... that I think that you should read. Okay. Uh, it's it's set in um, Jim Crow era, and a man faces the death penalty, and it's a teacher's job to have this man consider himself as a human worth mm. before he faces execution. It's a real uplifting book. Sounds like my kind of book. You know I like it like dark and stormy. <laughs> um, what's a favorite book of yours that was written by someone who's super different from you. So like maybe race, gender, identity, where they live. I don't know. Anything. Uh, A favorite book written by someone who is, um, who doesn't look like me is by Paul Beattie. And that Mm. is The Sellout. I love that book. Um, We've talked about that. You told me to read it. I really liked it. Mm -hmm. Shockingly. Um, it's good. It's so good. And it's it, LA, which it's is LA. Fun. And you, I, I, for me, I remember reading the first few pages and I was laughing. And then all of a sudden there's like this punch to the gut where it's, I took like an audible gasp and, uh, he's a brilliant writer. Well, and I, I happened to, re- I think I remember this correctly. You were reading that book around the time of the election mm-hmm. and, you kind of had to like pause a little bit. I on did. It, yeah. Which is goes to that conversation of like, it matters when you read something, mm-hmm. even like the week you read it right. and you're like where you are in your world and in your life. But yeah, cause I, then I waited to read it until a few months. You were like, you should wait and read it. And so I did. And I went right through it. Who do you think you would like to write the book of your life? And my life is so boring. It would be no. such a boring read. It'd be great. It'll be all about writing and reading. <laughs> It'll be like a love letter to books, basically. Oh, well, I, I yeah, I don't know. Well, you could write it, too, if you want to. Sure. <laughs> I'll write it for you. It'll be six sentences. Great. It'll be done in a day. <laughs> um, were there any books that you feel like influenced you professionally? Like in your- 100%. Right. Um, in Cold Blood by Truman Capote. Mm. And I read that in high school. And I was it, pretty young in high school. And it scared me so badly that I slept outside of my parents' room on the floor. After they went to bed, I took a sleeping bag out there for a couple nights Mm -hmm. until I could kind of talk myself off the roof. But to me, that just blew my mind about what nonfiction could do. Mm -hmm. I love that book. When I read that book, I don't know, 10 years ago, my roommate at the time, he also was like, you need to read Executioner Song. And I was like, I can't. It's too much right now. <laughs> but I couldn't read In Cold Blood at Night. I was living in New York. And so in New York, it there's not quite as much of the scary for that book. Because like here in LA or like anywhere that's not New York, you're worried that like some stranger is going to come and kill you in your sleep at night at home in your house. But in New York, I was like, I live in an apartment. Like, good luck getting <laughs> in here, pal. But I still was terrified. Yeah. Terrified. And so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fuck, that book is good. Do you have favorite authors? 
I do. And we've talked about some of them. Um, Joan Didion, for sure. Mm. Um, Dana Johnson, Paul Beatty, Philip Roth, Virginia Woolf. And then for short stories, I love uh, Lucia Berlin. Okay. I never really do short stories. Are you big into them? Uh, I like them when I read them, but mm-hmm. I don't gravitate toward them. I just read um, Heads of the Colored People by, I think her name is Nafisa Thompson Spires. And it's her debut book, but it was nominated. And it's all about middle class black life. So mm-hmm. it's like really, you know, like mundane problems that we normally associate with like white people's shit. Like mm-hmm. a girl who's trying to figure out the best post she can write on social media to kill herself. So it's like funny, dark, funny, or like a woman who's a fruit, fruit only. What do you, not a vegetarian, a fruitarian. Fruitarian. Yeah. And like these like funny, quirky, like, and I really liked it. And I didn't think that I liked short stories. So now I'm like, maybe I should try to read short stories. Well, if you do, then the first book that I recommend is a collection by Dana Johnson and it's called In the Not Quite Dark. Okay. And uh, as I recall, most of them take place in L.A. and downtown L.A., so and awesome. contemporary. And she's the one who wrote Elsewhere, California. She is. Okay. Okay. Favorite adaptation of a book or to film or TV or something maybe that was even better than the book? Better than the book? Jaws. Oh. I, that movie I is so great. I didn't even know so Jaws was a book. Great. Jaws was a book written by my father-in-law's college roommate. Whoa. But uh, the movie's incredible. And um, John and I were celebrating our anniversary earlier this summer and did a weekend away in a hotel and we're watching Jaws late night and it's still amazing. And that probably tells you a lot about our marriage. But um, (laughs) anyway, yeah, totally. I've never seen Jaws. I know. I don't love, I've never seen most classic movies or like mod, not classic, classic, like modern, you know, like I've never seen Godfather. Which is another book that the movie was better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Um, okay. What about something that you would turn into a movie or a TV show? I think it's crazy that The Sympathizer um, by Viet mm. Thanh Nguyen has not been optioned. Has it not been optioned or it just hasn't moved forward? Well, I mean, I follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow on okay. Twitter. And uh, he had recently said that it hadn't been. Wow. Yeah. That's a fiction book that I'm going to read. It is. It, it I should have be. It. I own it. It's here. Mm-hmm. I just haven't done it yet. It, I will say that the first... It takes a while to get into. It does, and then you can't put it down. I've heard this from many people. I think, I mean, it's worth it. I like to read Pulitzer Prize winning books just to read, just like I like to see Oscar winning movies. Whether mm-hmm. or not I actually like them is a totally different conversation, but I do try to prioritize reading at least one or two a year. And I found, I mean, I don't love fiction, but I found that the fiction books that win are usually not things that I like interesting but the nonfiction books always sometimes most of them the one that won this year locking up our own I was a little medium on Mm, I haven't read it I I don't know it didn't do it for me but like last year's 2017 blood in the water and evicted were both like freaking amazing and then I read what was the nonfiction or what was the fiction from last year it wasn't the underground railroad was it or was that two years ago Okay, it was the Underground Railroad. Heather got it right. Um, that one was good. I love. That's maybe one of the few that I love. But Executioner Song won. But for the novel, do you know how hmm. that happens? Because I tried to Google it, I couldn't find it. 
I don't know. That's so strange. It didn't win for nonfiction. Interesting. Yeah. But but like um, In Cold Blood didn't win, but it was up for nonfiction. Right. Which is, I That's thought. confusing. Confusing to me as well. Mm. Okay. Um, all right. Well, we've got to our last question. If you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would it be? Well, like I said, with my kids, like any book would be a good start. <laughs> sure, but, uh, sure. but, you know, maybe one that my kids loved when they were really little is called Hey Little Ant, about a boy who's about to step on an ant, and it's told from the ant's perspective. And, um, you know, like to squish or not to squish. Right. And uh, our president does a lot of squishing. A lot of squishing. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. I would say, I don't know, you're probably our 15th or 16th guest and I would say at least 10 people have recommended children's books to our current president that's a good place to start yeah I I mean imagine imagine being a full-grown adult and everyone thinks you need to read a children's book like let alone the leader of our great nation well it's about attention span right yeah and understanding of like empathy and basic human emotion totally all right do you have anything else you would like to add today Tracy, thank you so much for oh, having me. I'm so glad you're here. Heather's one of my favorite people to talk books with. Mine too. Um, we're going to be back next week. We're going to talk about Nancy Rommelman's book, To the Bridge. Another book that Heather recommended to me was Nancy Rommelman's book, To the Bridge. Um, and Nan- you know Nancy. You guys work together. We did. You were her editor? I am unclear on that. Okay. Uh, we can't remember. Okay. <laughs> But I was for sure her sister-in-law's editor on okay. many, many stories. And Nancy and I met in um, a booth at Musso and Frank, and the rest is history. Yeah, and she's great. And she was on a few weeks ago, and everyone just loved her. And so I'm excited to actually get to talk about her book. Um, so we'll be doing that next week. It's called To the Bridge. Um, it's linked in the show notes with everything else that we're talking about today. Um, and yeah, thank you so much, Heather. Thank you. All right, kiddos, that does it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our guest, Heather John Fogarty. Heather will be back next week to discuss To the Bridge by Nancy Robelman for our Stacks Book Club. So check out that book before you listen. Remember, you can support this show by being a member of the Stacks Pack at patreon.com slash the Stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening to us through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrank. Our theme music comes from Tagiragis, and this show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. I'll see you in the stack.